you wouldn't mind, uh, turn in your program back to page 13. Uh, we've sang the gospel so thoroughly this morning. I'm so thankful for that. It touched on so many emotional chords because that's what the gospel does. It meets us where we are. If we need to see God as majestic and powerful, if we need to be brought low because of our human pride, our sense of self-sufficiency, the sheer volume of God's presence, His majesty is enough to, to break us down and bring us back to where we need to be. But so much of the incarnation, so much of Christmas isn't like that, now is it? So much of it is holding a baby in the hands and knowing that if God can protect salvation through something as weak as a baby in a manger, then God can surely protect salvation in us now, can't he? That's where my heart goes when I think about this little reflection from Luke 2 today. The message of a couple of older people. People that had lived a lot, a lot of life. In fact, I'm not sure that anybody in this room would be as old as Anna. And maybe not as Simeon. Simeon, at this juncture in his life, likely would have had thin skin and skin spots. He would have had wrinkles. His eyes would be dim. If he had hair, it would be gray. He lived a lot of life. And I'd like for you to just consider what he was waiting on, how he was waiting. Consider this man's testimony as we reread these verses one more time on page 13. This text comes from Luke chapter 2. And the part for Simeon picks up on verse 25. Just for context, you might note that Joseph and Mary were poor. And they had come a month later, after Jesus' birth, after his circumcision, to the temple complex to offer up their impoverished offering to do what good religious Jewish people would do upon the birth of their child. They had done that, and Simeon, a righteous and devout man, was present there for the occasion. And listen to how it says, listen with fresh ears, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms, this picture of this Grandpa figure holding your baby, right? And notice, the two, notice these two words, what he did after the end. He blessed God. And that's going to be what little bit we talk about today is going to be around that, that little phrase, blessed God. And he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the, falling, for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. 
and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. I want to notice a few things in this text this morning for edification purposes and for exaltation purposes. Notice that it says in verse 25 that Simeon was waiting. You see that word? Waiting. I don't know about you, but I don't sometimes wait very well. Uh, waiting rooms might just be modern forms of torture. Uh, I don't want to sit in that room very long. I want to get where I'm going. You might be like that too. But waiting in terms of gift giving is not a struggle because you're expecting a lackluster lump of coal. Waiting in terms of gift giving is difficult because it's a struggle to wait on something that's good. You want it now. And we've all had that experience, I think, where we've convinced someone that we love to give us that gift early and then the day wasn't as special as it otherwise would have been because you'd already received the gift before your birthday or before Christmas or whatever the case may be. Um, but we should have confidence, I think, as Simeon, I think, did, is implied, not only in the, the goodness of the gift that is to be given to us, but also the goodness of the timing of the giving of the gift. To put it differently, Simeon was waiting and waiting well because he not only trusted that the giver was going to give his people a good gift, but maybe reluctantly, he trusted that it was worth the wait because he trusted that the timing of that just gift would be right on time. It wouldn't be a minute early. It wouldn't be a minute late. I wonder this morning if we struggle with God's timing. I wonder if we struggle with waiting. Most of our lives is spent waiting on what we most hope for, right? I mean, we, we wait to get not only presents like at Christmas, like little kids can understand, but we wait to get a driver's license or we wait to get married. Some of you... Remember that engagement? You're ready to get married, and you're waiting to get married. And can you trust that God's timing is good, and that it's not only worth the wait, but that, that, that in waiting we are testifying by faith to our trust. Faith is our victory. We're testifying by faith to our trust in not only the God who's giving us the gift, but His timing for the gift giving. We struggle to wait on the consummation of the kingdom, don't we? I mean, in a sense, we're struggling like Simeon. Simeon has had a, a particular promise that is different than ours. We haven't been promised that Christ's return will happen in our very generation. However, we are to pray, the Bible concludes, come, Lord Jesus, come. We are to hasten the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord's return, which means implicitly that like Simeon and Anna, we believe in the return bodily of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? And so as we believe and wait on that, we are seeking to be faithful in our worship privately, in family, in our corporate worship like today. We're seeking to be faithful, to demonstrate our faith by, by praising Him, by blessing Him as we wait. We are blessing Him as we wait for the thing that we are waiting for 
because we are assured that the thing that we are waiting for will come, is worth it, and will come right on time. Does that, does that track? Does it, do you track with that? Because that's the things that I take by reflection from this little passage, that we are, as God's people, about the business of blessing God for the, for the precise things that we are waiting for, even while we wait. Sometimes I don't wait very well either. Sometimes I don't wait so well. But God has us waiting for a reason. How about this concept of blessing God? Look at verse 28. He took up this little baby Jesus in his arms and he blessed God. In 1978, preacher and author John Piper wrote this. He said that when God blesses men, they are helped and strengthened and made better off than they were before. So when God blesses you, you're strengthened, you're helped, you're made better off than you were before. He said, but by comparison and contrast, when men bless God, he is not helped, he is not strengthened, and he is not made better off. Interesting when you think about it. When men bless God, he is not helped, he's not strengthened, he's not made better off. Rather, man's blessing God is an expression of thankfulness. It's an expression of thankfulness. I might ask you this morning, Christian, are you thankful? If you've gotten off the attitude of thankfulness, where did you get off and how did you get back on? Are you thankful to the God that not only made you, but sustains you, and not only sustains you, but saves you, and not only saves you, but promises you on his word, which is better than any man's word, that he will come to consummate his kingdom, of which you are gladly a part. So if you feel cheated, if yours is marked by a spirit of ingratitude, If timing is always so poor that you can never find joy and smile and praise, then perhaps you need to hear the testimony of Simeon and be reminded of the goodness of God. He is good. He is good not only because of what He is giving you, but the timing of when you get it. Simeon, Simeon surely had a pattern of blessing God prior to holding baby Jesus in that temple complex upon the purification according to the law of Moses. But remember that definition of blessing God. When man blesses God, it is an expression of praising thankfulness. We see that all over the Old Testament. When the Old Testament speaks of blessing God, It does not designate a process that aims at the increase of God's strength. It is instead an exclamation of gratitude. It's an exclamation of admiration. And we shouldn't find this strange. Here are a few supporting texts from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 8, you shall bless the Lord. Psalm 100, give thanks to him, bless his name. Psalm 145, saints shall bless you. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Psalm 96, declare his glory among the nations, how marvelous he is among the peoples. Psalm 104, bless the Lord, O my soul. O my God, you are very great. 
1 Chronicles 29, Blessed are you, O Lord. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 145, Bless your name forever, my God and King. Every day I will bless you. Psalm 113, Blessed be the name of the Lord, both in this time and forevermore. This is a theme, blessing God for precisely the things that you're waiting for while you wait, and in your waiting and in your blessing God, realizing that you are expressing thankfulness and not increasing God's strength because He is utterly strong. So your blessing God is qualitatively differently than His blessing you in its result. Because when God blesses you, there's a change in you. You are strengthened. When you bless God, you are blessing Him precisely for the very thing that He already is. Perfect. And you might say then at that point, then what's the point? Why should I bless God? Why is Simeon, why are you wasting my time giving a message about blessing God? And that is an implied question, I think, in a text like this. What's the point? And I believe that the simple answer, it's a faith-based answer, but it nevertheless is the straightforward answer of why we are challenged here and encouraged by being obedient to bless God. It's because that's our purpose in life. That's why you were created, to bring glory to God. That's the first catechism. The chief end of man is to bring glory to God. You're to bless God. And so I just, I don't think that's necessary. Well, God said it was. Well, I mean, what is, what do you need? if he's not going to be increased by my blessing him, and what's the point? I, because he said you should. Like, you know, it's like, it's like when that good parent, the good one, the one that actually serves you, says you need to do this. Why? Because I said so. Sometimes you don't know why. Exactly, you just do. Until you know why. And, and some of the believers have, have reached a point in their journey where they do know why. What they have discovered by testimony. Simeon speaks and Anna speaks for some in here that can say to you, trust him. He's good. Bless him. It'll bless you too. Not because you increased him, but because by blessing him, your thankfulness had a reciprocal effect on you. He made you to bless him. It is in our rank rebellion against God and against our Redeemer that we refuse to bless Him. That is our insubordination. But the efficacy of blessing God should not be called into question because we have experienced frustration in our rebellion. Just a few more reflections. I'll not keep you long. Look at verse 28. It says, Simeon took the baby in his arms. He blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Notice there the word peace and then the word salvation. And then glance on down to verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. I want to key in on those three words briefly, peace, salvation, and revelation. I would contend to you today that Simeon's hymn here, bless you, Whoever coughed, thank you. I almost opened the sermon with God bless you to emphasize the bless you and move the comma, and I thought it would be too grammatical to make the point about bless you, so thank you for that opportunity. God bless you, and God bless you. You see, three things, peace, salvation, and revelation right within this. And I'm going to say Simeon's hymn helps us to bless God, which helps us in return, 
because of his peace and his salvation and his revelation. So, so the first of these three little things here in this triad is peace. Peace is one of those underrated treasures in a world that's filled with overrated pleasures. It, it's kind of an intangible blessing that only comes from God. But you know when it isn't there, don't you? One of the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of God, because God is the Spirit, is peace. I was in Israel in 2012, and I was stricken by their greeting, Shalom. That's how it's hello, it's Shalom. Shalom means peace. They understand intrinsically in their religion the importance of stating words of peace, that we need peace, that peace is not a given, that peace comes from above. The Beatitudes commend peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We are to be eager to pursue the bond of peace that is ours by the unity of the Spirit, Ephesians 4.3 says. If God has granted you a peace in your home, if He's granted you a peace in your church, rest assured it was bought at a great price. So treasure that peace and bless God for it. We end our services almost each Sunday with go in peace. That's words chosen with purpose. Simeon could now rest in peace because Christ is the prince of it. And so, though it seems intangible, this fruit of the Spirit peace, you know that the most important things, as one singer sang, the most important things in life to me are the things I know I cannot buy. Peace is an important thing that you know you cannot buy. And in your purpose to bless God, you will discover greater peace. Lest we think that we are better than what we were created to be. Secondly, salvation. Bless God not only because of His peace, but because of salvation, which really goes with it. It says here that He saw salvation. It's an interesting choice of words when you think about it. Simeon's eyes, his dim, older eyes, had seen now the Lord's salvation. So to know Christ is to know salvation. Like the patriarchs of old, Simeon was watching and waiting for the Lord to come. It isn't that no one was saved before the birth of Christ. They were. It isn't that no one was saved since Christ's ascension into heaven. We are. It's that to see Christ is to see salvation. Salvation is not a process. It's in a person. John's gospel presents salvation this way, in the person of Jesus. The Pharisees kept trying to rationalize the Messiah to get him to conform to some prior process that they had instated. But Jesus knew what was in a man, and John says that he would not entrust himself to them. He kept pointing to salvation, not by works, but by himself. And Jesus said, my testimony is about myself, but I don't need a second witness because I am God. And they kept tripping over this, this salvation in the person of Jesus. They couldn't even get to his work because they couldn't even understand him, his person. I am the one that knows where I come from and where I'm going, John 8, 13 and 14 says. Jesus said in John 8, I am from above. You are from this world. I am not from this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Then speaking not only of who he is, but also then of what he did for us, that we could never do for ourselves, Jesus said to the inquirers of his day, the Pharisees, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, speaking of him being lifted up on the cross, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing without I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me to speak. 
And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he, as he was saying these things, many believed in Jesus. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8, 28-32. I'm skimming through verses in John 8 to convey to you that Jesus was identifying himself as divine for the first century listeners, and that many religious people were tripping over that truth because Jesus brought salvation. Simeon could say of Jesus, the, the baby, the person, salvation is here. He could say that because Jesus is the ultimate man. There is no man like Jesus. In a nutshell, the Bible speaks of our federal head Adam as a great failure in sin and as our federal head Jesus as a great savior of men. Where Adam failed step by step, Jesus as a second Adam succeeded. He is the ultimate man. So in our waiting, as Christ's true disciples, we are enamored with truth. Peace-driving, freedom-granting truth. Jesus is not only peace, but he's truth. A person. The I am. The intangible claim that seems to lie just outside of reach for you comes in the person of Christ. That's the hidden in plain sight message of Christmas. Christ is your salvation. And then revelation. Thirdly, we abide in his word. We abide in his revelation. The Bible itself, the word is revelation. God has given us revelation. It doesn't simply contain it. It is revelation. When you hold the Bible, you hold God's words. We abide in what has been prepared for us. And so we watch and we wait according to Christ's word. Luke 2.29, as well as 32, uses words like word and revelation. You can see it in the print text on page 13 of your program. The long-awaited promise of Abraham is fulfilled in Christ. And Simeon, to his credit, recognized it. He knew the Messiah he was looking for. Now, how? How did Simeon know what he was looking for? Well, it isn't a one-on-one correlation, what I'm about to say, but you could be in services your whole life and not be sincere and face the, fa- face the facts with the Lord and walk in His Word. However, I'm going to go ahead and say that's not the norm. Most people that are in church are watching the Word and they're waiting on the Lord and they're, they're recognizing cues like Simeon would for when the Lord would be coming. And I'm going to go ahead and say that Simeon blessing God in Luke 2.28 was not an anomaly because he had the ongoing habit, like Anna did, I think for decades, the scripture implies, of blessing God. This was their habit. They blessed God. So this is nothing new to Simeon. He knew God was worthy of worship. Word and prayer and God's people are, are the ways that God makes himself known to us by the Spirit. The Spirit is in the people. The Spirit's in us. We have God's indwelling Spirit. So you all are a blessing one to another, even as you gather to bless the name of the Lord. Simeon blessed people. As he held the Savior, he blessed Joseph and Mary, Luke 2.34. Lots of hidden things that kept peace and salvation and revelation just out of reach come together in the person of Christ. And there's no mystery for us. We have all the data. It's there. 
That's the message of Luke 2, 34 and 35. Glance down at your program guide and see the end of the text that I reread. Luke 2, 34 and 35. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For the fall and the rising. Some would, 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 would trip over the person of Jesus and some would rise in the person of Jesus. Which would be you? Which would be you? Would you fall in the person of Jesus? Or would you rise with the person of Jesus? Would you entrust yourself this very day to the person of Jesus? Would you, with Simeon and with all of us in church history, would you bless God for his gift and for his timing? I'm reminded of a couple other places in Scripture where this theme of blessing God arises. Uh, one of them is right here in Luke. In Luke chapter 1, verse 64, approximately Zechariah was mute because he questioned the fertility of his aging wife, Elizabeth. And so when John the Baptist was born, the very first words out of Zechariah's mute mouth was to confirm his son's name needed to be John. And then the very next words, you look in Luke 1, 64, is that Zechariah went about blessing God. He had this habit of blessing God, and these were his first words after he got his tongue back. In all our religion, like Zechariah, I wondered if we've had time to think on it, if we've circled back to that simple premise, you know, kind of like a wedding, only for a corporate worship service. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here together every Lord's Day for the purpose of blessing God. Every time we gather, we're here to bless God. This peace, this salvation, this revelation is beyond me, but it's for me. It's a gift. It's a treasure. If I don't wait well, it's because I'm not trusting well. But if I trust afresh in God's perfect timing for every event, I will be more apt to know the blessing of blessing God while I wait, like Simeon did. The second example I think of the Scripture is a little more remote. It's from the text that many of you that are following along expected me to preach today. And that, Lord willing, I will get back to in January after Pastor Kurt preaches. And we have Brother Charles Cavanaugh and John DeVito coming in to preach in early January and to grace this pulpit over the next Sundays. But it's from the book of Daniel. And it is a bit ironic that the very text that I left off on last week also speaks of blessing God. Briefly put, exiled teenage Daniel, along with his three trusted friends, were waiting they were waiting for freedom. They were waiting for an answer that would redeem them from the unreasonable, unbelieving pressures of Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar. And after worshiping and receiving God's revealed words, it says in Scripture that Daniel blessed God. Daniel 2.19 says, Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. Now time won't permit us to go through that text carefully. Daniel 2.19-23. But... As we have considered Simeon today, to consider Daniel 2 alongside of Luke 2 shows a lot of overlap. God's people know in their better times that we were created to bless him. And that in a strange and ironic way, we are made stronger by blessing the one that doesn't need to be made stronger. Daniel says things like God is wise. He controls the time that darkness desists in the light of the Lord, that light dwells in the Lord, that he dwells with us. We sang, who would have dreamed the giver of life was born in the night on a silent night. And so we today give thanks like Daniel. We give praise like Zechariah. 
we give blessing like Simeon with thankful praise for a peace that passes understanding, for a salvation that's not of man's commanding, and for his revelation for every group of people together that he is banding. I'll close with a quote. Dane Ortland wrote a book that I would commend to you. Last year he wrote it. It's titled Gentle and Lowly. It's a compilation of many Puritan works on the person of Christ, the very theme of this sermon. And I'll just read one brief quote from that helpful book that I would commend to you on this subject. Taken from pages 99 and 100 of his helpful little book, Gentle and Lowly, says this, Let the heart of Christ be something that is not only gentle toward you, but lovely to you. Ponder him through his heart. Allow yourself to be allured. Why not build into your life unhurried, quiet, where, among other spiritual disciplines, you consider the radiance of who Jesus actually is, of what animates him, of what his deepest delight is. Why not give your soul room to be delighted afresh with Christ time and time again? When you look at the glorious older saints in your church, how do you think they got there? Was it sound doctrine? Sure. Was it resolute obedience? Yeah, without a doubt. Was it suffering without becoming cynical? For sure. But maybe there's another reason. Maybe the deepest reason is that they have, over time, been won over in their deepest affections to a gentle Savior. I can't hardly hear that song up here that we sing about who would have dreamed without crying because they think about how gentle that God would give us salvation through the birth of a child. Perhaps the elderly like this in the church that we can glean from, the Simeons and Annas, perhaps they've simply tasted over a period of many years the surprise of a Christ for whom their very sins draw him in rather than push him away. Maybe they have not only known that Jesus loved them, but they felt it. How do we feel it? Well, in the dash between the years, the year that we're born and the year that we pass from these earthly scenes, in that dash, we spend a lot of time waiting. And what God wants from us as we wait is to bless him for his salvation and his peace and his revelation. And it's good for us. And we learn that from the seniorest sanctified saints in our midst. Would you stand with me and bow your heads and pray and to prepare to sing together a final song, a wonderful hymn, as we depart today. Let us bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, your name is glorious. We gather today.